What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of Ranching Reboot, the podcast that provides insights and inspiration to help you start and grow a successful ranching business. We're thrilled to be bringing you a fresh take on farming, ranching, food systems, and the people that run them. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help to spread the word. Share the podcast with your friends and family and leave us a review on your preferred platform. Your support helps us reach a wider audience and keeps the show going strong. Don't forget to check out the sponsor links in the show notes and support our amazing sponsors who keep the show running. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Wally Olson, a seasoned rancher who spent his entire life in the industry. Wally shares his inspiring journey into ranching and provides valuable tips and strategies for those who are interested in starting their own ranching business. From creating a high cash flow business to managing taxes and retirement savings to understanding the value of cow depreciation, Wally offers his insights and expertise to help you succeed in the ranching industry. So whether you're a seasoned rancher or just getting started, sit back, relax, and enjoy this insightful conversation with Wally Olson on Ranching Reboot. But wait, there's more. We're excited to announce that we now have a Ranching Reboot Discord server where you can connect with other fans, discuss the show, and even connect with me directly. This is a space for you to connect with like-minded people and dive deeper into the topics that matter most to you. So join us on Discord and be a part of the Ranching Reboot community. You can find all the links in the show notes on my Linktree link. Finally, we're always looking for new and fresh ideas on the show. If you have any suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like us to talk to, send them my way at redhillsrancher at gmail.com. Together, let's reboot your thinking and revolutionize the way we approach farming, ranching, food systems, and the people that run them. Thank you for your support. This episode also sponsored by Bobo Links from Blue Nest Beef. Bobo Links are my new favorite meat snack. Simple and clean ingredients, gluten-free, no grains, hormones, or antibiotics or dyes. Naturally preserved by fermentation, no nitrates, corn syrup, or liquid smoke. Bobolinks are tangy and delicious, individually wrapped for maximum freshness. I keep one in my pocket for a healthy midday snack while I'm on the ranch. Try Bobolinks today, check the show notes for a link, and use the code BOBOREBOOT for $10 off your first package. Confession time. I have a very hard time eating. I'm a picky eater, and it's been a struggle my whole life to fuel my body properly. When I got curious about nutrition, I asked my doctor about vitamins, and that led to a conversation about where vitamins come from. He didn't know, and I realized I needed to make a change, so I started searching for a better source of high-quality nutritional supplements to spend my hard-earned dollars on. I reached out to several companies, and I'm proud to announce a partnership with a company I can stand behind. Introducing One Earth Health Grass-Fed Beef Organ Supplements. Organ meats are the most nutrient-dense foods we can eat and have been uniquely treasured by our ancestors. Organ meats are not only nutrient-dense, but they're also a great source of essential vitamins and minerals. The liver is packed with vitamin A, K, and E, while the heart is a great natural source of COQ10. The spleen contains four times the amount of iron as the liver, and the kidney is a great source of vitamin B complex. The pancreas supports gut health. I can't tell you how much better I feel since I started taking these supplements. When I don't take them, I have much less energy and focus. Just a few capsules every morning gives me everything my body needs to thrive. We are built to eat diverse diets that include whole animals and organ meats. We have lost our perspective on food and its purpose. Give yourself the gift of radical health. Give yourself One Earth Health grass-fed beef organ supplements. Visit www.oneearthhealth.com forward slash Brian Alexander or just click the link in the show notes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Well, hello, Wally Olson. How are you this morning? Welcome to Ranching Reboot. I, I am. I am very good. Anytime I get to talk to you, sir, I am just a, it doesn't get much better than that. So, well, that's, that's, that's a good compliment. First thing in the morning, uncle Wally, um, while we're here, I bet there's probably quite a few people that don't really know the story of Wally Olson. So before we, before we get into some stuff and we got some really, we got a lot of great stuff to cover, you know, maybe some market stuff and, uh, you know, talking about how to start ranching and how to support a ranch with cash flow these days. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the legend of Wally Olson? The, the legend of Wally Olson uh, starts out. I was, uh, I was born into ranching. I have, I don't know if I don't think that I can think of, I've ever had a job out of ranching and stuff. And, uh, and uh, long story short, I grew up on a, a, a mixed farm and ranch, and we had uh, we were too diversified. I mean, we had sheep, cattle, and hogs, and and uh, you know farmed, and uh, you know we just had you know one time I counted up and there was 116 tires that were down on the ground in uh, my dad's operation, and. Most of those tires weren't very good. So uh, needless to say, you spend a lot of time fixing tires. And and then uh, my mother made me promise that I would uh, go to college and get a degree. So when I did something stupid being a cowboy that, you know, when I was paralyzed that I could still make a, a living somehow. So I did that. I didn't do a very good job of that because I didn't agree with uh a lot of the teachings there and uh and i've had done learning a lot of the stuff i learned in those four years and uh and then uh <clears throat> my wife needed to train at uh, uh in wichita so i went to uh uh el Rado and i worked for el Rado livestock auction for a while and paul seeley and i learned oh man what a uh, mentor he was to me and things I learned and then I uh, went to work for the Myers Ranch and uh, and uh, but then we had an opportunity to buy a place back home we were going to come home and uh, you know just ranch the rest of our lives away and uh, but uh, that was in uh, 76 and uh, everything went really good till about 1980 and since this operation was completely leveraged uh you know when interest rates went from you know four or five and six percent to eight in 15 20 you know just kind of like an auction and and this was the home place and where was that no this was at oldsburg kansas and okay. we bought i bought a place uh there and stuff and so uh and needless to say, when it went that high, we turned into custom hay balers, and I'd rather roll in cow manure than get a drop of hydraulic fluid on me. So uh, let's just say that I wasn't a very happy custom hay baler. You know, matter of fact, I was happier when the machinery was broke down so I could just stop and fix it. Because when it was running, I was worried about when it was going to break down. <laughs> and And so with that, my wife and I discussed and we decided to uh, that we were going to, you know, cause to survive was terrible. So uh, we decided we were going to get out of that deal and we unwound all of that. And we were 
uh, we wanted to raise our children on a ranch. And, and so we started looking for uh, ranch jobs or just jobs, any kind. I'd apply for any kind of job. And, and so with that said, we kept uh, going on and the, uh, the Secretary of Agriculture for Kansas right now, Mike Bean, uh, was, was uh, we were at a meeting to hear Stan Parsons talk in Hutchison, Kansas. And I'd ask it. Mid 80s. Mid 80s. Well, the very, yeah, 80, you know, three or four, I don't know when. Okay. But, uh, and so we, I heard Stan Parsons, we were standing in the supper line. And uh, so I just happened to ask Mike, I said, you know, you know, any jobs? He said, you know, there's a really good job I just heard about this morning from. Tulsa and I said well go to your room and get it and and he said well uh you know let's I'll get it to you after dinner I said no this is more important than that to me go get it now and I'll hold your place in line he did I went I was on a Thursday I went and called this number and on Monday I was at Villarreal and Associates in Tulsa they're a headhunters firm and uh and uh, for an interview, and the next Monday, I was back and interviewed with uh, the Flint companies who owned the ranch, the Kelly Ranch, where I eventually went to work for. And on the next Monday, my wife and I were uh, uh, down to accept the job. So that is how I got to the Kelly Ranch. And it was owned by the Flint family, and uh, it was it was I I still maintain that being the manager of the Kelly Ranch was the best manager's job in ranching you could have, because the Flint family were a very kind family, and they were all business, and it was uh, it was just a fun deal, you know. And where is the Kelly Ranch? It's at Benito, Oklahoma. I, I like to tell people it's in the outskirts, the suburbs of Bowling Springs, Oklahoma. But very few people, except the natives, understand that. But, but that's kind of like saying that I live in the greater Sun City metro area. I understand, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, you've been here. I've been there, yeah. So, no, that's it. And, uh, and, uh, may I tell a story on, on, when you, if you're going to go, since we're talking about starting ranching and starting everything. Go ahead, sir. Open mic. When I, when I, was, when I was growing up, <clears throat> I had a gentleman that I worked for by the name of Orville Burgess Sr. And he ranched and, and stuff. He helped start the Quarter Horse Association and stuff. And uh, I need to go back because I've been thinking about things I say Mr. Burgess told me and I can't quite justify the dates so these are these are uh musings of orville burtis or parables of orville burtis i'm not going to say they're absolutely true stories because i can't prove they're true but but the one thing he he told me is he said now you go down there and look into that job and you know and it's a well-managed ranch he said you want to just get the hell away from it because he said you'll always be compared to the old manager and uh and, uh, you know, the family just, you know, you just, it just, you know, just going to be tough. He said, what you want to do is go find the most screwed up ranch you can find where there's nothing you can do wrong. And uh, that's where you want to go to work. And so I went down there and I was interviewing with uh, 
Mr. Flint. And finally, we're getting down through the end of the interview. And after listening to what was going on, I said, you know, I said, I'm going to tell you a story. You know, Mr. Burris told me and I told him about I would do anything in the world to get this job because I said, this is one of the most screwed up branches I ever, you know, seen. And he looked at me and I thought, well, that's the last I'm going to talk to them. And he looked at me and said, that's exactly why you're here and stuff. And so they interviewed three people for the job and, and after, and we're still very, very good friends. Uh, Mr. Flint and I, and, uh, he said the other two people, I was interviewed first. The other two people came in and said, what a well-managed ranch this was. He said, I, I even had a tie on. And he said, they were blowing so much smoke up my butt that it was even coming out of my neck with my tie on. So I got the job and we were there for, oh, I don't know, 35 years. And then, then they were nice enough to lease us part of the ranch from 2008 to 16, which if you had a for ranching then, Lordy, that was the greatest. That was probably one of the greatest eight years you could ranch. You know? Yeah, after, that, after, after the Christmas, things got a little bit more, uh, a little interesting. Yep. Yeah. And stuff. So, but that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah. so, yes. Tell me about ranching.fyi and how you got into that. Ranching.fyi, uh, uh, one thing is, is is to go back a little ways, I had a, he's passed away now, but a gentleman, uh, and I classify him as a friend, him and I had lots of fun arguing, but Chip Hines, and if you, you know, I'm going to give a please passed away now, but Chip Hines wrote some great books, and if you're going to be in ranching, you need to get them, and uh uh, Chip Hines and I have always talked about how to put uh, 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 an old head on young shoulders, and that's that's kind of what we did. And you know, we discussed it. He passed away before we could really get into it, but that's where Ranching.FYI came from. I stumbled in. She did. I didn't stumble in. She hunted me up. A young lady by the name of Cinnamon Linhart, and her and I. Uh, visited about starting this, and then uh, we brought in a, a very good friend of mine, John Haskell, and the three of us have kind of started Ranching.FYI, and all that is is we're just gathering up interviews with people, you know, that we consider that are successful in ranching or have something you can learn from them, and that's that's what we do. We have a great time doing it and stuff. Okay. Very cool. So what you, I know you're just dying to talk about some of your top tips on how to start ranching. Where do you want to, how do you want to dig into that? Well, one thing is, is uh, one thing I, I'm, I, I, uh, you know, uh, I believe that, you know, there's no out of the box thinkers, you know, not the bunch of garbage because you're, you're, you know, being in boxes, that's your paradigms or your, you know, and a paradigm is just your operational beliefs, you know, what you believe is true. And, and I believe that there is, uh, you know, a number of paradigms out there that are, you know, I think are all wrong. You know, to me, you know, 
raising big calves is is a wrong you know is a wrong paradigm cow longevity is a wrong paradigm and this belief of a lot of people that tell you you can't get started in ranching you know what i want to change that paradigm i believe you can and and i look back over my life at a lot of things that i had the paradigm one is after the you know, getting beat up up there and owning land, you know, I was very uh, negative on owning land, you know, there's no way you could own land, you know, not and on, and then all of a sudden, uh, a good friend of mine that's account, Walter Lynn and I, we were driving down to visit Walt Davis one day, and all the way down there, we discussed ways that you could, you know, buy land, and and you can you know you can uh you can do that but you got to understand there's there's a sequence if you know i mean if you've got a lot of disposable income that you paid your tax on it, you know land is a great investment if you're starting out ranching it's the worst thing in the world you could do cuz there's just no cash flow there you know okay and stuff so Let's go. Let's visit about how to get started in ranching and stuff. And uh, the best template for uh, getting started in ranching it was given to me by a Amishman by the name of Monroe Miller. He's from Mount Hope, Ohio. He's passed away now, but I had the privilege of sitting down with him for an afternoon and just visiting him. And and you know if you notice the Amish and I need to research this in more depth, but they flow their businesses. I mean, they pass it on, you know, to the next generation. We're in ranching, or most of us Englishmen, as they would say, uh, don't do that. You know, we start and stop and start and stop. And, and uh, you know, the, you know, the real estate agents, lawyers, and everybody else gets rich and we just piddle our wealth away. So one thing he said there is four things you transfer when you're transferring the farm over. And the first thing you sell to the younger generation is cows. Since they all milk cows, you sell them the cows because that's where your cash flow comes from. And you get them purchased and then you buy the horses since they farm with horses. And then you buy the machinery and then you buy the land. That's just the way, you know, and that's the way I truthfully think we need to, to, uh, to look at it and stuff. And so, so, uh, you know, buying, buying the cows, you know, all you need to have to be in the cow business is a cow. You know, you, that's all you need to own. Uh, and right, like right now, Olson Ranch LLC owns a couple of hundred cows and a couple hundred stalkers. And all I have is a Dodge pickup and this Surface computer. And that's what I ranch with because I have other people taking care of those cows. So, and you, you need to, you know, to get started, you need to uh, keep as much of the money as you possibly can in cash flow producing assets and, and that is you know that is you know use feeder lambs stalker cattle cows goats whatever produces income for you and you just need to uh 
understand that you know cash flow is king and all the breeding and all of this and all of that uh, uh you know you need to be very cautious about you know matter of fact you get too far into genetics one time reason i poo poo genetics you get so emotionally attached to genetics that you can't sell it and uh and let me tell you in this business you gotta sell stuff and then stuff why so, is that important what's that why is that important why I sell stuff is because uh, that's what causes cash flow. And, you know, you collect up everything, you know, and, and also there is. Uh, and and when you when one thing, when you start, you need to enter with low capital deployed. And what I'm talking about there is, you know, just like right now, depending on you can you can go buy. $2,500 cows and you can go buy $900 bred cows. You know, the, the 2,500 is going to be an 1,100 pound black bred heifer. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yep. The 900 pound cow will probably be a red baldy or, you know, she can even be a black cow if you're really hung up on black, but she's probably down to only having a few years left in her, but you can get started and, and with the present market, you know, uh, she is going to kick you out a, uh, you know, a thousand dollar or $1,100 calf, you know, which is pretty good return on your investment and, and stuff. So, you know, you need to be very aware of that, that however you enter, you need to, uh, uh, lower your capital if you're going to get started in the stalker business if you can handle them you buy the littlest calf you can just to keep your capital down and stuff and then uh and then <clears throat> you know you need to even before you even think about you know getting into uh Ranching. Ranching is a business. And if we would spend more time looking at ranching as a business, and, and to me, you need to uh, get an education. I mean, you're one way or the other, you're going to get an education when you get into ranching. I promise you, you will pay tuition. And, uh, and it's your choice whether how you want to pay that tuition, whether that, is whether that wants to be painful on its schedule which is learning all the hard lessons of life through drought and market cycles and, you know, in, in production wrecks, or you can pay that, pay some of that tuition up front. Correct. And, and, uh, to me, uh, one of the best places you can go is, is to take a ranching for profit school. I mean, they, they, organize the business in a way that you can uh you know know how to track your business and know where you're making money and where you're not and stuff so how many times have you been how many times i've been probably four or five i don't know i've been uh, oh it's got to be more than that it was six like four years ago oh, six okay six i'm you gotta realize i'm getting elderly and <laughs> stuff and and the reason i go is because it's a it's an evolving business also uh 
you meet wonderful people there. I have got people that I do business with that I met in 1988 at my first ranching for profit school. And, uh, uh, you know, we didn't reconnect for 20 years, but, you know, by knowing them, you can call them up and, you know, do things. I've got a network that, you know, goes from South Africa, Australia, Canada, you know, and all through the United States, you know, when I want to do business with somebody. There's very few people that I meet that do not know who Wally Olson is or have never heard your name. Yeah. Well, that's... Uh, you know, I don't know for sure how to take that, but, you know, here we go. But most people, most people, it's good things. It's, it's yeah. good things. Yeah. Everybody yeah. loves Uncle, Uncle Wally. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I've, I've been blessed with some, you know, tremendous mentors in my life. You know, my dad and Orville Burtis. And, and then I knew Walt Davis and, and, you know, I spent lots of time with Bud Williams. I mean, uh, you know, so one thing now I'm 71 years old and I'm, uh, you know, I'm willing to help people out, you know, and stuff. So, but back to, back to ranching for profit, you need to go and uh, just so you, when you start putting this ranch together, you know, you know how to do it and stuff. Another thing is, is, is a friend of mine, uh, John Haskell has started Ranch Right. He has got lots of good videos out there that you can go. Him and Walter Lynn, who's a very dear friend of mine, have done some stuff on how to use, you know, borrowed money or leverage, you know, when to use it. It's just a tool, but we use it terrible, you know, and stuff. You need to understand, you know how to use leverage. I mean, you're probably going to have to use leverage. You're going to start your, but you need to understand the rules that you have to play by and stuff. And also another thing when you're starting out and you might as, to me, you might as well start off at the very, very beginning. You know, this is rule number one. Rule number two is rule number one is you create the highest cash flow business that you can create. Rule number two is you figure out how to get as much margin in your business as you can. And the way you get lots of margin in your business is you start out, you start out seeking things that can, will create large amounts of margin. In ranching for profit, they use, uh, you know, 10% opportunity costs and uh on on your your uh investment and what i look at is is i try to look at start out using 25 percent. and what i'm talking about is is you know whatever i'm going to purchase an animal is it going to give me a 25 percent return in a year and so uh you know, and then you have to understand when you bring in cash flow, you've got to have, you know, you want to have lots of turnover because whenever, you know, to create cash flow, you've got to sell something and buy something back that's undervalued and, and just roll along. Right. So if you, if you have, you know, two turns a year to make your 25%, you know, now we're down to 12.5%, you know. So you just need to be uh, looking at that. And also, you know, 
with with if you're if you're creating a 25 percent return uh you know in theory you can grow your your business 25 percent a year that's to me that's just pretty good growth and stuff so you know you need to refocus on you know what's really important in in all of this can you can you maybe define um, some of these things we're talking about? Can you tell us what opportunity cost is? What that means? Opportunity cost is if you're going to the, the way I take it is that if you're going to take some of your money, uh, you have the opportunity to put it elsewhere that will return you. Like right now, I can put money in CDs and get four point seven percent return on my money. You know. Uh, uh, and, uh, so, so, <clears throat> what well, you know, using the 10% opportunity cost saying, if I'm going to risk this money, I want 10% return on it so to risk it, you know, you know, it's the same way when you're figuring your direct costs, you know, you've got to pay yourself a wage. You got to pay yourself for the grass you use because, it's stupid don't animal if it isn't going to pay for what it costs to do it. I mean, and stuff. Yeah. Like I have to charge my cows on my ranch. They get charged a day rate, just like all the, all the customer cattle do. But you know, that's not a check that I necessarily get. That's just all internal accounting, but I've got to be fair on the day rate that I charge. Yeah. And in theory, my... when you, when you sell those calves, you in theory get that money in, it just doesn't come in as, you know, if you want to break your business all the way down, you could probably do that, you know, and things. And, uh, but, you know, and, and one thing you need to understand is, is, uh, and this comes from Bud Williams and marketing. And, uh, you know, you need to understand your inventory of what you have. And, and you know, in, in ranching, you have animals, money, and grass. And one other thing that I am very aware of anymore is time. You've got to understand, you know, if you do this and this, how much time are you using? You know, because... Like Bud used to preach, to to do start something new, you've got to give up something because you know you're usually your whole your days are filled. Now, in my case, playing solitaire, I can probably give up some solitaire games to do something constructive. But you know that's just that's just Wallace Olson, and and so you need to you need to really work on understanding how that all works because you know the worst thing you can do is have animals and not have any money or grass where there's a lot of people that are getting that way right now i mean with the shortage of hay and stuff and shortage of hay and the the high price that it is i've been seeing we talked about this just before we got going i've been seeing like hay rows with four or five year old bales that guys have cleaned out. Like, you know, I, I'm pretty rough on my old cows. I'm, I'm pretty hard on them old girls, but I don't really think that I'd, if that was the plan was five-year-old hay out of the windrow, man, somebody didn't, didn't do a whole lot of thought or planning to try to figure out how they were going to get through the winter. It seemed like. That is correct. And stuff. 
You know, you can have money, you can have cows, you can have grass. Heard yeah. that for a long time. And you only really get to pick two of those. And, well, I've got cows and I've got grass. I don't have a whole lot of money right now. But cows are fed and I've got enough feed to get, I've got enough supplement to get me to green grass. So, you know, you're, you're prepared. And so, and another thing, if you're starting out ranching, you know, uh, it is very tough to go rent a ranch. And I mean, there is, uh, there's some old farts like me, I, I truthfully think need to start, <clears throat> you know, giving up the power you know we're the ones that can get all the leases and stuff you know we it's kind of like the same in politics we need to i tell us old guys we just need to you know move on and do something else and and so you know we need to start and that's uh you know that's one thing i'm doing i will uh you know put cattle out with people and help them out but then i leave you know when they get healed up or however whatever it takes them, I will leave and go find somewhere else to put them out or just have my money and stuff. So you need to, you need to understand that, you know, you need to uh, either develop the skills to put cattle out with people, which is a set of skills that, uh, you know, you have to learn <laughs> and you will, to, you know, like I said, everything you learn, there is tuition, and that is uh, all there is to it. And so go cautiously. I mean, you know, you don't you don't probably put 200 cows out with somebody, you know, or whatever, you know, in one big fail swoop. You know, you do a lot of little things. You know, like I tell people, if you're going to get in the stalker business, you take the amount of money that you want to spend and then you divide it by 10 and you go to the sale and buy that 10 percent and the next week you go buy another 10 percent and you just keep doing that and about week five or six you need to check what you bought and see if there's something that's overvalued that you could sell back and now you've got cash flow and you're off and going and you will not get into a health care wreck or you learn how to do the business Whereas if you would take all your money and go buy, you know, one load of cattle, and if you happen to get the load of cattle from hell, you know, you'd be done. So you need to just ease, ease into it and look at all of this as an education and not as a profit center. You know? And, you and know. back to that paying for your education. I'm, you know, schools like ranching for profit, holistic management, you know, coming down to your livestock marketing school. It's all fantastic. And getting in, getting those kinds of an education, you know, somebody had to pay, somebody had to spend all the money the hard way to learn all the lessons that made it into ranching for profit. Somebody had to learn all the lessons the hard way to figure out, you know, to get where you are with livestock marketing and understand what you do about undervalued and overvalued animals and teach the things you do at your at your livestock marketing course. You didn't just come up with that. <laughs> that that cost. There's, you know, it, it's the tuition, it's the knowledge thing. You pay for all the knowledge that's in your head, whether you pay for it at the school hard knocks, or you go sit down and learn from somebody that was already there. And then the one one thing about the school hard knocks, you know, which uh, I've had. You know, plenty of, of those, you know, Walter Lynn on my, uh, this is 
I'm exaggerating here, but on my balance sheet, we got, uh, you know, a, a, a line item called tuition. You know, if a, if a, you know, like I tell people, well, it was a good idea at the time, but it didn't work out. And uh, so we just, unless you quit going from Joel Salatin, you know, it's all only a learning experience unless you quit, then it's a loss. So, you know, when you get bruised up, you know, you need to learn how to get back up and go again because you're, you're going at a different level. You know, you've got that learning if you take it and use it positive and rather than negative, you know, and stuff. I forget where I saw it said, but fail just stands for first attempt in learning. I wouldn't argue that with you, you know. And, stuff. And, and like I said, you know, there's many ways, you know, uh, you know, you, you could go, you know, there's ranchers that will let you uh, run cattle with them. Now, you, one thing you better be sure of is that you're running your cattle on a profitable ranch, you know, or you won't be moving very far ahead, you know. And you need to have all this stuff worked out in, you know, in in writing. You know, everybody talks about the handshake deal. Well, I love to deal with people that have the handshake, I call it handshake character, definitely. But we're going to write it out because, uh, you know, you may not be there or I may not be there. And we need to leave the errors, the uh you know, the rules that we're playing by. Also, if things go wrong, you know, this is what, you know, this is what we agreed to and, and go from there and stuff. Yep. Even with guys that I've been doing business with for years, every year we still pass back and forth. It's just kind of a one pager now, memorandum of understanding. Yep. Just so we understand this is the rate. This is the days we're expecting. This is how we're going to handle death loss. This is how we're going to handle work days. This is how we're going to handle sick animals. This is how we're going to handle it when things get out. This is how we're going to handle, you know, shipping days, things like that. It doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be a contract that you have to send to the lawyers and, and let them get their, get their meaty hooks in and cost a whole bunch of money. No, just a simple agreement. Whatever you talk about over the hood of the pickup and, and shake hands on, should at least be taking notes and writing it down and having it on paper because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. I mean, I hope I've got several more decades. I hope you've got a few more years, but we've got to leave that paper trail because like, imagine how bad it would be if something happened to me and the cows are today and the cows are supposed to go home tomorrow and it takes a month for anybody to figure it out because nobody wrote anything down. Cows are standing around, hungry, losing condition, losing money for my heirs, whoever they may be. Not a great situation. That is correct and stuff. So, you know, that is, like I said, you just, you know, you trust but verify and, uh, and things. So. so one of the things you have written down on the on the sheet that you, you sent over for points to discuss is appreciation versus depreciation. And I think that there's a lot of folks that are kind of confused on depreciation. Like they're kind of maybe confused on opportunity cost. Can you maybe, can you explain how depreciation to somebody that's not a math guy? 
Well, one thing, first thing you need to do is understand that then I cannot get through this through to very many people is that you have to have something that appreciates before it can depreciate. Okay. You need to understand that, you know, and, and everybody talks about cow depreciation and, and stuff. And that is, that is, you know, that and I'll give you an example that, you know, if you, if you have a, you know, if a five-year-old cow is selling for $2,000 and you keep her for five more years and you sell her for $800, you have $1,200 of depreciation. You have lost that much inventory value. Now, one thing why people don't get excited about this is nobody writes a check for it. And I do not know of anybody that tracks it. I mean, we talk about it, but we don't track our changing in our herd inventory. And, and uh, that is one reason why uh, the cow-calf business is break-even, is we start out with a, a weaned heifer calf at $800 to $1,000, and you run her up to 2000 or whatever they are going to go up to. And then you turn around and you sell her for $800 or $1,000. In other words, you have had $1,200 of opportunity be produced in your herd just in the changing inventory value, but you let it get away. And poof, it's gone. And one thing people don't realize is, is, is the value of those dollars because all of that money, that $1,200, if you captured it, could be capital gains, and you don't have to pay self-employment tax on it. It is huge money. And if you want to buy a ranch, after-tax dollars is what buys ranches. You know, And so you need to be have figured out how you can get, either you need to make a lot of money, or you need to figure out ways to, to get you know, after tax, the most after tax dollars you can get. A lot of people really get after me. Oh, you don't want to, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of stupid things managing taxes. And and so, so uh, paradigm is, well, you, you don't manage them. Well, uh, you know, you can, you can manage taxes very well if you do it, do it reasonable and stuff uh, and things. And there's a, there's a great quote that I've heard from Dave Pratt from that ranch for profit school that we mention all the time. And it was, uh, any decision, I guess it's not a quote. It's a little story that he tells and I, I forget the details, but it's, um, the moral of the story is decisions made in the name or for the purpose of tax avoidance generally come back to have negative consequences for the business later. That's correct, but you can you can also uh, you know there's things you can do to to uh, you know avoid or manage. I don't want to say avoid. I'm not avoiding any taxes. I'm just changing the structure of my business so I do not have to pay as many taxes. And and uh, you know that's you know like I said. You know, one thing uh, I learned from Bud Williams, he gave me a book, you know, The Art of Contrary Thinking, you know, and on every deal, there's there's two sides and, and there's, you know, you, you need to be on the other side of every, you know, deal, uh, just like uh, 
you know, uh, you know, cows are going to get really high. Well, people are going to lock up and 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 not, uh, you know, not sell them. Whereas I'm, I understand the relationships of the market, and I can I can sell that overpriced cow, keep a heifer, make her into a bred cow. I'm picking up time in younger cows, and I'm picking up a lot of cash that I can, you know, that I can take out and not have as much uh, uh, tax problem, you know. You know, if you <clears throat> just, you know, if you're profitable and you're in a 30% tax bracket, I don't know this for sure where we're at, but one, one thing is that in that 30% tax bracket, if you are really there, and and if you're you're selling everything as ordinary income, you have another fifteen percent added on for self-employment tax. You know, so if you can reduce that, you know, tax down to fifteen percent on capital gains and get rid of the self-employment tax, you have a lot more money to do something with. And things. Now, one thing you've got to decide is if you start skipping out on your self-employment tax, you have to take care of your retirement. You know, and since I worked for the Kelly Ranch for 25 years, and I paid into Social Security, and now I'm drawing Social Security, it's not a bad little check to be getting. You need to understand, you know, and stuff. It's never too early to start squirreling away for retirement. That is correct and stuff. So, is the the acorns you plant for retirement today will be mighty oaks by the time you get there? Yep, that is right and stuff. But that's uh, you know, there's so much you can do with uh, marketing. Matter of fact, you know, I've got some example, real life examples uh, of of how you can go through a down cattle market like. You know, when the market started crack going down in 2014, what I did from 2014 to 2016, you know, I came out of it very well. But if you if you had bought a $3,500 black four-year-old pair in 2014 and, you know, 2018, you know, she wasn't worth much, you know. And, you, and, you'd, and then one reason, you know, we were talking about you know, why this drought and more people haven't went out and same thing in the break in the cattle market. And, then, you know, land appreciation has been covering up all these ills, in my humble opinion. I can agree with that. I also think so, you know, we're talking about the drought. We're talking about, you know, marketing and turnover and, and cow life. And, you know, everybody's got their own unique situation and setup. And, Going into you know there around late summer, I put out some some social media content about you know, hey, if you're already feeding hay, it's a long ways to green grass. This is what you know. This is your daily breakdown of carry cost for uh, for protein cubes and for hay for just on standing the simplest dry lot that I could think of. And I got a lot of backlash, and that's fair. And. The thinking was from from some of the feedback I was getting is, well, yeah, they might not be worth anything now, and hay is really high, but if I can just hold on, the market's going to get really good. The market's going to get really good. I mean, and all the signals were there, and we're starting to, I think we're starting to kind of see um, the cattle market 
kind of make some moves toward the upper end. You know, we, we talked about, you know, what steer heifer price and cow price was. And, you know, we think back to, you know, the 2013, 2014 era, which has a very similar setup, lots and lots of drought. And then things started to get good. Things started to rain. We're low, you know, the cattle inventory was low or, or cow inventory was low. And, you know, as soon as things started to rain, that drove prices up. The thing I'm thinking is, I'm well, not thinking, I'm wondering if we're going to see our cow prices kind of go above that 2014 peak, you know, where we were seeing those, you know, $3,000, $3,500, you know, nice black four-year-olds. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are we going to go past that peak? And what does that mean down the line for depreciation on those animals and the guys yeah. that buy them? I mean, I... I it makes no sense to go buy a cow that at, at three or four thousand dollars, no matter how old she is. Like, okay, if you're a seed stock guy, fine, I get it. That's that's something completely different. We're not talking about seed stock cows. We're talking about just you know regular commercial cows. If you're paying three thousand dollars for her. It's awful hard to make that pencil out. I will completely agree with you that uh, you know and and thing is is you got to understand that uh that uh you know three or even four thousand dollar cow you know she's going to sell for uh, at the end of her life she's going to sell for slaughter price and and you're going to have a tremendous amount of depreciation on her and slaughter price is less than a hundred bucks right now if you don't if nobody's looked it up lately so, so that is, you know, on a thousand pound cow, that's thousand dollars. And if she's four thousand, that's three thousand dollars. And if you raise four calves out of her, you understand what I'm saying? You know, people don't realize that, that what happens is, you know, that I try to show people is that, you know, the calf out of a, you know, comparing a five year old cow or a four year old cow to an eight year old cow. Those calves, matter of fact, that eight-year-old cow probably will have a little better calf than the five, you know, but who, no, not that much. But what you have to look at is, okay, if that, if that uh, calf, freezy figure, and sells for $1,000, you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes. And sir. it costs you $500 to run that uh, cow. And then if you pick up another 300 you know, dollars in depreciation, uh, you know, uh, now we're down to that cow generated, you know, $200 of cash flow versus one that didn't depreciation would, uh, would produce, uh, uh, $500, which is a big difference. That's the difference between staying in business and not. Yeah, and and it's you know, uh, we've got examples where where without changing anything except the marketing of your inventory, your livestock, you can improve the sales on a ranch by forty four percent. Which that you're now we're talking about real money and stuff. And I want to say like the easy way for me to not spend money is to stay out of the sale barn, but that's precisely probably the place that you go to. Well, I know that's the place you go to make money. 
Well, not necessarily. I mean, you never, you never, you can make this work very well and never have to step in a, a sale barn and stuff. You, you, because if you're in the cow calf business, you can just, uh, you know, manage your inventory. You know, there's things that are undervalued. There's things that are overvalued. You sell the overvalued and keep the undervalued. Most of the time, it's the weaned heifer calf. And most the most overvalued thing is usually the four or five or six year old cow. You know, that's mo like I said, most of the time you've got to do the math all the time. And so. so it sounds like doing a little bit of heifer development is where good there's there's money in heifer development. Is that what you're saying? If, if yes, I mean, depending on you've got to do the math. I mean, there's times when there's huge amounts of money in heifer development and then there's times there isn't and you just got to adjust your operation to that yeah okay you made a comment earlier that you weren't concerned at all about cow longevity and and i under and i understand that and that's you know from more of a more of a trading type perspective um you know for me for me in my operation the cows I bought were already fairly cheap. You know, a, a, a four, five, six hundred dollar cow doesn't owe me a whole lot in depreciation over the course of her life, especially if her horns are still worth, you know, two or three hundred bucks after they're cleaned up and I pick them up out of the pasture. So, like, not having depreciated out cows, or I'm sorry, already having pre depreciated out cows, the longer I can keep those cows for not a whole lot of money, the better chances I have at paying them off. So to me, having a cow that does have some stability and some longevity is kind of important. Why did you say that cow longevity wasn't, wasn't really something you were worried about? Because uh, you're giving up your main profit center in the cow calf business is, is, is capturing the, the appreciation on the cow. You bought cheap cows and they're still cheap cows. You understand what I'm saying? you would have uh, purchased a heifer calf, you understand what I'm saying, and had the cash flow to do it and stuff, you know, you could, you know, taken her up in value and and, uh, and sold her. So you'd need to understand that, uh, uh, you know, in your situation, yeah, you're, you bought cheap cows and you're, you're making money on selling calves, but that's the only thing you're doing in your cow business is selling calves and heads on your horns. <laughs> well, the, those big, those big horn girls, they're also worth about $8 a pound after they come out of a grand grinder. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, you got to, well, see now, now we are, uh, you know, we are, we are, we are moving, you know, we're not in the cow calf business. Now we're in the meat business. You understand what I'm saying? And if you're in the meat business, well, then maybe cow longevity, you know, is worth something. But the problem it was trying to be in the direct to consumer grass fed beef business means means that I have a means I have a, a much different structure. That's correct. And and uh, and but still you need to uh uh you know, you know, you keep this and she keeps having, you know, if you're if your heifer calf is undervalued, you understand what I'm trying to say? And you to me, if you're in the grass fed beef business, the greatest thing you can do is all your steer calves, you sell them as soon as 
they reach weaning weight, you keep all your heifer calves, you breed them, raise one calf out of them, and then you you fatten that that second calf <coughs> heifer up and sell her as meat and use that calf to pay your development costs. Because in the grass-fed beef business, these people that are going from, you know, womb to tomb, as I say, you know, the, the turnovers just terrible and and you know it's slow it's no it's not slow it's terrible <laughs> and, and drought's going to get you about in the middle of it and stuff yeah let's move on to one other thing i want to visit about before we get uh, our arguing about stuff that we usually get arguing about oh i you won't know. argue with you sir and one one is is buying land and everybody says you cannot buy land anymore and i i carried that paradigm for years and boy did it i missed lots of opportunities on on not doing it and so what you need to do is you need to understand how you can buy land and uh in uh in the Flint Hills of Kansas, now, I don't know if you can buy it for $2,500 an acre, but, but I used $2,500 an acre. And if you amortize that, you know, at 5.5% a year for 30 years, it comes out that you have a debt service of about $175. And so... What you need to do is is understand that you need something to offset. You know, that acre cannot pay for itself. No way. But there's ways you can offset your business so it will. And one of them is is, is you have supporting acres or you rent acres or whatever. And so if you uh in the in the uh in the Flint Hills, you can get about 100 pounds of gain. And in, if you get 75 cents value for that gain, that's $75. It costs you $30 to rent it. So in other words, you have positive cash flow on that deal of $45. You understand what I did there? Um, yeah, you had 100 pounds of gain. Yep. And the cost of gain was seventy-five cents a pound. You charge that, so that's your right. that's your grass income, seventy-five dollars. If you lease the grass, it is it is you know costs thirty dollars to lease it, and uh, uh, you know, so you you've got a gross margin there of forty-five dollars. And if you divide forty-five dollars into one seventy-five, it comes up to basically four acres. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So so if you had if you you know wanted to buy an acre, it looks to me like you need to, to buy an acre, you need to uh, at least three acres and you can do it. Now bear in mind you, you know we're talking about 30 years and and a lot of things, but it is possible to do it. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm I'm following your math now. So because of the economics, you have to lease basically four acres plus the one you want to buy yep. and one cows on all of them. So you can afford to pay yep. for the one. Yep. Okay. That's what you got to do. You know? 
I, I've said for a long time, like, and I, I probably might even said it yesterday that it's it's extremely difficult to go anywhere in this country and buy a ranch with cows. That's correct. Yeah. And I guess you know, from a certain point of view, that's that's you know still mostly true. It's you know you can you just need a bunch of acres next door that you can lease to help pay for it. Now, see, one thing that <clears throat> I think that all of us old farts out there that own ranch that are just limping through, you know, and I, I get really worked up about this, you know, uh, that, you know, we just need to turn it over to the next generation. And, uh, and you know, one thing that I have uh, heard about that is, is, uh, is, is making a ranch into an LLC, a land company. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. And, and each acre is a share. And, and what you do and that, what I'm talking about is, is, you know, if you, if you're wanting to transfer the ranch over to a son and you got other siblings that, you know, went off to, to do their thing, which I, you know, if they decided to go off and do their own thing, you know, I don't think they get flipped out of the ranch, my humble opinion, but, uh, you know, that's just me. Uh, but if you, if you have a, 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 an heir that stayed home and you know, wanted to ranch and you've got some that don't want to ranch, what you do is you, you sell the heir, the headquarters that enables the parents to have some money to go build a house or go do something. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. You put the ranch, rest the ranch in an LLC and one acre equals one share. Okay. And then the parents die. You understand what I'm saying? And so rather than selling the ranch and getting income, the other siblings get their share of the rental income out of the uh, LLC. The people, the young man that's, or whoever stayed home and wanted to ranch has an opportunity to buy shares as they uh, are able. And, and, there would come, you know, your extra acres to buy acres. Okay. And it's set up and, and the the other heirs, you know, get a fair income. Granted, they don't get to sell this huge overinflated value on the land, but the younger or the other heirs get to uh, to do it. It also works very good if it's not blood, you know, if you... Your children don't want to ranch. That's fine. We're going to find a young couple. We're going to help them out and get started. And then you're going to get this amount of income and they will eventually buy the ranch. You know? Yeah. Cause absentee absenteeism and absenteeism of ownership is, is kind of an important thing. You know, I've talked about it a lot on the podcast about, you know, about uh, taking care of the land and the ecology and not just, you know, trying to get as make as much profit off the land as possible or get the highest yield or the biggest calf or whatever. But, you know, maybe more looking at the whole cycle, you know, what ecosystem goods and services, what benefits are we are we providing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as the next generation comes in and takes up the mantle of land management and raising livestock, it's important that we do give them some of those chances 
And um, I forgot where I was. I forgot where I was going with that, Wally. I don't have. Well, here we go. So you know, but you know, one thing is 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 the thing I like about this system is is, is you can transfer the ranch over. You know, the the heirs get their fair share, in my humble opinion. You, you know, everybody gets treated fairly in this deal, and. Uh, uh, and uh, you can transfer it to blood or non-blood. I mean, it just uh, strikes me as a good way to do it. Oh, I, I guess where I was going was um, like just kind of thinking about the comments for succession. You know, it, everybody, anybody can do with whatever they want to do with their land. And you and I can both agree that, you know, if there's, if there's family members or if you've got siblings or children that have not been interested in the ranch other than to come back maybe for a vacation a couple times a year for the last 20 years, why would you give them a half undivided interest and give the other half to the person that's been there for the last 20 years trying to make it work and trying to, and, and running a business? That That never made sense to me. And over the last, you know, 15 years since I've been out of the military, I've seen several ranches around here have to deal with that undivided interest, undivided interest thing in the land. And the sad thing is that seems to more often than not result in that ranch being sold, being sold, yep. which means, and, 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 and the reason is, is the older generation wouldn't step up and accept their responsibility of what they needed to do and stuff. So they kicked the can down the road and they died and it got, it wasn't their worry. And they thought it was fair. Yeah. thought that all, everybody should just get, you know, all the kids need to get their, need to get a share and everybody gets their fair share. Everybody gets the same size slice of the pie. Yep. Regardless of what they've done. Because yep. that's what's fair, and what's what's fair isn't right, and what's right isn't fair. And there's another quote that that's very relevant that escapes me right now, but it doesn't. It, it's not required to be fair. That's like, correct. How is it fair to how is it fair to the family member that's been working the ranch? you know, with the previous, alongside the previous generation for the last 20 years, putting in their, their sweat equity, which, you know, we know if that's not written down, it's worth nothing, putting in their sweat equity and their time and their capital and building an operation. And then one day it's like, oh, wait, well, half of this isn't yours. Nope. Well, which half isn't mine? Well, it's undefined half. No. Nope. Okay. <laughs> and that, and that's, that'd be a terrible position to be in. That's correct. And then, like I said, it's, it's, uh, I, you know, our, my generation needs to uh, step up and take care of things they need to take care of. But dying is not one of the things they're uh, ready to face. And that's, that's the problem is, is, you know, we're going to die. That's sad. I've seen more sunrises than I'm going to see. And we just need to take care of business, which we don't. And there's ways out there, just like this LLC is a very good, to me, a very fair way. It protects the gentleman that's been there for 20 years ranching. The kids that left the ranch still get a fair income. You know, 
from what the ranch produces and stuff. Good stuff. And with that said, my friend, we need to wrap this up. Okay. So where can everybody find you on the internet and get in touch and learn more? Where would you like to send traffic? You can go to Olson Ranch LLC or, or, or Google ranching.fyi and stuff. And like I said, I'm more than willing. If you got a question about this, send me an email to wally at olson.fyi and I will gladly help you out. Are you still doing livestock marketing schools? Oh, yeah. I'm going to get ready to start one on online Monday. All right. Very cool. I, almost every one of those you do, I have I have several people a year tell me. It's like, oh, I went to Wally's Marketing School. I heard this. He's so awesome. Yep. So so what I, we're going to do, since, you know, since you're kind of the whatever, prodigal son or, you know, whatever, we're going to just call you and we're going to set up a marketing school and we're going to probably do it in Sun City at Buster's. And uh, so you can attend and stuff. We can definitely do that. And there's actually a really good building to do it in as long as it's not anywhere close to a hunting season. I understand. The, that building that's just to the east of Buster's, I think if you, I know you've been to Sun City, if you remember that there's that building just east, um, it's been kind of turned into a hunting lodge type operation. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of, I suppose somebody that's a little more civilized than I from, you know, the coast would say that you know it's a little rustic um that you know it's a little rustic and decor but it does have plumbing <laughs> it does have indoor plumbing and it's it's a really uh it's a nice place but yeah if you wanted to come down to a livestock school in sun city we'll, well, we'll think place. about it but i wouldn't i wouldn't hold my breath on it how's that okay but if you want to come out, we'll find you a place thank you that's fun we'll have to do it again yes sir yes sir well, I need to head out since it's 9.09 and do some stuff. So I probably better get to work and look at my cows too, sir. Very good. Let me know when this is going to be up. Will do. Thank you for your time, and uh, y'all enjoy the rest of your week. You bet. Bye-bye.